Hi, I'm David Pogue. Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your digital home for the RVing lifestyle. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com for additional information about each episode. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV Navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot, talking to you from our on-the-road studio that is located on Lake Rend in southern Illinois. As a matter of fact, I think we started off here... On a previous trip. On a previous trip. We started going south. Did we today. podcast from here? No, but no. we're going north. We usually kind of poo-poo things in <laughs> Illinois except for Chicago because it's flat and boring. But if you make it to southern Illinois, it's not flat and boring. And Rend Lake is part of an Army Corps of Engineers complex that includes an 18-hole golf course, numerous campgrounds. If there's not room in this one, you can go to the state park. There's and we're staying full hookups for only thirteen. $13. So that's the advantage of staying at COE sites. Corps of Engineers, uh, if you haven't uh, looked into their campsites, this is a opportunity to get yourself bargain camping at very nice places for very little money. If you have a geezer card. If, well, but even... Tr- Twenty six dollars is not a bad price. price. Not a bad price. And we are staying on the shores of a beautiful lake. But it's a little chilly. <laughs> there are no leaves out yet. There are no leaves on, on the trees. trees. Um, oh, last month, remember we were well, we were in Costa Rica with the we air conditioning. Sweating. We were <laughs> with the air conditioning on. Oh boy, how things change! And I'm sure our listeners are waiting on bated breath with their excitement about our zip line experience. But first, we should say oh. this is the podcast for April 2022, episode 204. 204. We had a great experience at lunchtime today. We often sit here talking to each other, <laughs> wondering, wondering if, if anybody is else anybody is listening. They're listening to us. And lo and behold, apparently somebody is. And most of the time we say, no, nobody's listening to us. We had lunch in a rest area in southern Illinois, parked right next to a rig that looked very much like ourselves. Yes. Uh, filled with a couple that looked very much like ourselves. Having lunch. <laughs> And all of a sudden, we heard a knock, knock, knock on the door, and the lady came over to say, could you possibly be the Navigators? What Just a nice our, thing. We do have a sign on the outside of our rig, so if you happen to see us traveling down the road or parked at a rest area, almost as good as being at a campground near us. We didn't have a lot of time to chat, but it was very nice that listeners come over and say hello. This is yes, a, what a pleasant a, surprise. very nice for us to, to know that there are actually people out there who are listening to the podcast. Got us motivated. And of course, to talk we always appreciate your emails at navigator at rvnavigator.com. And we always appreciate hearing from you. So if you can, take a minute, give us a review on iTunes. Uh, oh, podcast, we haven't said that in a long time. And uh, send us a note that how you're listening to us. And we will be glad to uh, start up a correspondence with you. But. Questions, topics for future discussion, always welcome. Yes, before we get started here, I should kind of apologize for last month. You yes, know, you should. Yes. <laughs> yes, why should I? <laughs> because the sound was bad. 
I think most of the time you're used to hearing a little bit of Ken in the one ear and a lot of Martha and a lot of Martha in one ear, a lot of Ken in one ear and a little bit of Martha. But last month it was total stereo. And if you are listening on a car or something, one of us was coming out of one. Anyway, it was not monoized as I usually do. So I'm sorry about that, but that's the We were on the road in the jungle. It was the best we could do. And we're still on the road, but we at least have our quality studio microphone so that our voices sound very deep and resonant. They do. (laughs) We are well within... Never, never. Well within the distance required to drive home today, about four and a half hours to go, but we thought we would stop and talk to you because we know that once we get home, we'll be working, 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 getting ready to leave again. Oh, yes. It's always bad to have to leave Florida. We've had a very good time down there, and the weather was great, and we hated to leave, especially when it's cold up here. They actually had snow in Chicago. And what the hell are we doing coming? What the heck are we doing coming? We're coming home so we can leave. Ah. And where are we going? We are going to Europe, to the Tulip Cruise that we booked (laughs) for spring of 2020. I was thinking back to our plans, and this trip has survived virtually intact in terms of what we were planning to do and how we were planning to do it. So for some strange reason, reason we are flying back to Florida (laughs) in a few days after we get home to pick up a cruise ship that will take us to Europe and And then we are flying from Copenhagen to Amsterdam to do a tulip cruise, which has been on the bucket list since well Well, before. The tulips haven't been going for two. Well, they've been growing, but they haven't been uh, open to visitors for over two years. So we've been getting the daily emails from Amsterdam about the Kuchenhof uh, tulip fields and how they are growing, and we're excited to hit the road again. Finally, do it. So really, the only thing that remains to be done is packing, of course, and sorting out the very COVID regulations that seem to change constantly. It looks like we are going to need a COVID test to get on the transatlantic cruise, which is a bit of an obstacle because of timing. And then I think that's it on the river cruise. They are going to test us every day. It's a Viking cruise, as they did when we did the Viking cruise in Malta last summer. So it's not gone and forgotten, but lots more people are traveling, so we hear, and I'm I'm glad that we will be among them and finally get to do this tulip adventure that I've looked forward to for such a long time. But it leaves from Fort Lauderdale, so we actually are coming home to leave from Fort Lauderdale. I don't know if this makes a lot of sense. It doesn't. (laughs) And because it's early in the spring, you're going to have to winterize again. You're going to freeze your gizzard, taking the water out and putting the antifreeze in. A good time will not be had by all. But I was thinking about coming home. We're going to spend probably we're going to spend probably seven hundred dollars for fuel to, to come home. home. But in the three nights we'll be gone on the road, it's costing us about seventy five dollars. So for flying home, that would be just about as expensive to fly home as it would be to drive the motor home. But we wouldn't be able to bring all of our toys, which we still have with us. And because we have no plans to go camping for the foreseeable future, because we have so many international trips planned that may be happening this year, we thought we'd bring the motor home home, let it freeze a little, get the bugs out of it, rent out our campsite in Florida to, among other people, other Listeners, so we know other listeners. Yeah, Yeah. what do you know? (laughs) They've actually contacted us about 
renting our campsites. Anyway, so we did have a big surprise. Our, our motorhome has not been at home since uh, during August. the summer yeah. last year because we left it in Florida when we came home for Christmas. And we have been paying for a place to park it every month, as you have to do, whether you're <laughs> there or not. To keep it not. vacant, it has to be there to reserve it. And I sent an email to the parking lot mm, owner because bad news. I know how it is when a parking space looks empty. People kind of just drift over and migrate in and park one more little Because it doesn't vehicle. have a number or anything. No, it's, it's just, just a, a parking lot. And so I gave him a heads up that we were on our way home, which was followed by a shocking email that just apparently was in response to my email and alerting us to the fact that a snail mail letter was waiting for us at home. We haven't seen it yet. Notifying us that he had sold our storage lot to somebody else who wants us out of there. So all of a sudden we were just shocked and didn't know quite what to do. We couldn't leave our motorhome in Florida because we haven't rented out. That site rented out. We have only less than two weeks while we are at home to dump it and get ourselves repacked and out of there. What to do? And if the, the our motorhome needs a place to park, obviously, we can't park it at our, at our house because they only allow us to park it there for 24 hours to unload it. So we have to have some place to put it. And in our case, that means that we have to pay to have it parked. Either that or we would have to leave it in... The Home Depot lot or something. I don't know. Not, uh, not a good it idea. It wouldn't be safe and no. secure. No, no, of course And not. in our part of the Chicago land, the cheap land that you might want to use as an RV parking lot has gotten extremely rare. People make a lot more money building an apartment complex or a mansion on a piece of land. And so we have relatively few places that we even know of to park. And we are on the big side for many of the lots that we're aware of. So we are fingers crossed that we have found a place not too far from our house that uh, we can wedge ourselves into when we get home and see if that's a good place to leave the rig. Of course, it's twice as expensive as the one we yeah, were using. we're going from $60 to $130 a month. So literally twice as expensive. But we what need a place do? to park, and we, this was a place that we could find uh, online. Obviously, we were in Florida at the time calling around trying to find some place because I was, I was we would have to leave it stored in Florida, I think, if we didn't uh, but find we couldn't a place. leave it on our lot either. Well, we'd have to do something. Yeah. So we are happy to have that taken care of. Uh, what okay. do you guys do? Well, Where do you store your RV and how do you store it? Uh, that would be an interesting topic for discussion. Uh, we've stayed in this lot for uh, several years, so we were kind of surprised when this happened. And we were <laughs> totally shocked just a week before we were planning on coming home. And coming home with it only 24 hours to find a place to park it would be hard, to say the least. A real slap in the face. But this, as I recall, happened to us once before, um, not quite as inconveniently as this time. And, and supposedly the people who bought this lot are going to repave it and put in better fencing, security, blah, blah, blah. It may become available to us once again, but the last time we went through this, a, a two-month task took more like six months before the lot yeah. was available again. We have to have some. Well, it's a, a constant, sooner than that. constant hassle, and people are saying, "Well, this is a first world problem." This yeah. is a, hey, when, you own a, when, you, when you own a big water home, you got to have some place to park it, uh, or a big trailer, or whatever you got. You got to have a place to park it. But people are actually anxiously awaiting your verdict on the zip line. 
Oh, we, we tease them we? at the beginning with how you were going to react to a zipline because you're not really an action well, adventure fan. And I don't like heights unless I have things to hang on to. So dangling in the air was not an appealing prospect. But I loved it. Uh, part of the reason was that it was so well done. A group of young men from Costa Rica who worked at our hotel and do ziplining for fun themselves taught us what to do and how to do it and babysat us every step of the way the course was 10 zipline stages going wow. down the mountain and every so often we had to walk on a swinging bridge which I actually found more hair raising than the zipline yes, itself indeed. and then at one point we had a repel so it was, was quite really a nice adventure. And this took a couple hours. Yeah. I was surprised. And then at the end, they had this giant swing. We had jumped <laughs> off a tower. Which we did not do. So but, my advice... If people in our group did. Yeah. If you're like me, don't look down. Look out. Because out was beautiful <laughs> scenery. Lots of green trees. Costa Rica was such a lovely place to be. And I'm proud of myself that I did it. And some of these, uh, the stages were up to a quarter mile long. So quite long. And long enough so that... You got stuck. Well, it was a bit of a conundrum in that they taught us how to break ourselves because you don't want to come crashing into the platform at the bottom at of the incline. But you don't want to stop in the middle of the course and be dangling there. Like that video, which you might have seen, where some little boy in Costa Rica into the crashed sloth. into a sloth who was sleeping on the line. Oh, my. So occasionally the lines were not quite steep enough, I'm guessing, because mm-hmm. I really didn't break myself. And these nice young men had a couple well, and there was wind. And rescue us by pulling us back to the, <laughs> back to the platform. <laughs> um, but it wasn't scary. It was just a really good time. And I'm all so 12 of the did group it. did it, so they uh, it was a nice bonding experience. And we did see many sloths. Yes. Even on the last day of our trip, we saw sloths. But sloths are really boring. <laughs> I had the damnedest time taking pictures of sloths. You could never tell where their face was. And they are so boring. And they I, never I've never moved. seen an animal that moves so slow and deliberately than the sloth. See, yeah. It wasn't exciting to see the sloths in their native environment. And, of course, in Costa Rica is full of those exotic animals. And I have hundreds of pictures of great birds. If Does he ever. And I have them uh, put up on Flickr if you'd like to see some great bird pictures and help me identify them and of course next month's may that is a calendar is going to be a bird a something tanager is it it the april calendar no the may one oh i thought there was april's already done last month okay so i have to do it just a month ahead there was no real scenic so I i took a nice colorful exciting bird you could have done lots of green trees that would have been and there were nice I know, beaches there green too. trees are not and sunsets i did it i have nice beautiful. sunsets it's beautiful but if you'd like to see some birds from costa rica you can take a look at the link that i have on the rv navigator podcast page episode page for this episode episode 204 and for april 2022 and you'll see a link there which will have two links actually uh one link for the pictures and another link if you'd like to watch the entire slideshow video of our trip which probably wasn't too exciting to many of our Unless you're thinking about doing it yourself, it might give you an idea. If you're thinking about or you'd like to see what an oat trip is, uh, how it operates, the 12 people are featured in this. Uh, It's primarily people, not a lot of scenery, but uh, we did have a great time. And, you know, what we saw 
Slow. And you know what we saw. Slow. I'm oh, hoping the, the cat's all. The cat's all. Now, this is a world-class event. Which one of our listeners that we met in Florida has been dying to see. I'd heard of them, but not being a birder. I had never heard of them. I'm sure (laughs) that I did not have the emotional resonance with me that it did with some other people. We went to a lodge in the middle of the mountains on the Continental Divide. Most of the other tourists who were there were Europeans, so it's obviously a world-famous bird. (laughs) And the routine is that you get up in the dark. And at go four to a, o'clock in the morning. And go to a spot where the bird may have been at a previous time on a previous day. Never thought I would and do this all birds. the guides whip out their viewing scopes, and everybody has to be quiet and listen. And suddenly they hear the quetzal, and everybody whips out their binoculars, and no, it's not there. It flew. And this would we, make a great movie. And then all fifty of us with our guides and their viewing scopes race around up and down the street trying to chase. We're the But we actually did see it because the Quetzal was busy scouting out a place to build its nest. So we saw the male and the female. They held still long enough for us to take a picture of them, and everybody was just thrilled. And i got to say, it is a very colorful bird. It's very green with a red breast and a fairly large bird, which is good for me um, and good for photography. It's got a very long plumed tail, which is uh, quite interesting. So it is an interesting bird. It's not this you know, small, indescript bird that you sometimes hear people talk about. Quetzal. And how do you spell that? Q-U-E-T-Z-A-L. It's the national bird of Honduras. Really? Hardly has any of them left. I, I thought it was Nicaragua. And Honduras named its currency the Quetzal and has pictures of it on the bill. But because Honduras is not the eco-friendly country that Costa Rica is, uh, there are hardly any of them left there. Apparently it's much harder to see them there Uh than it is in Costa Rica. Well, we found it fairly easy to see. We saw probably eight or nine because we did a Different, hike. We did a hike later and we, we saw them. Done. We didn't have to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to go see these things, but we did. And we did see them then, and we saw them later on in the day. So we're quite blasé about seeing the Kessels. But with that said, we've talked to many people who have said they went all the way to Costa Rica and to it see is, the Quetzal and didn't see it at all. And when we hiked later in the day and saw some pairs flitting around again, even our guide, who must see them fairly regularly, he is the guide, was thrilled with how often we had viewings. It could have been the same two pairs over and over again. Who knows? They all look the same to me. but they um, <laughs> And you look the same to them. <laughs> made frequent appearances as we hiked, so it was great fun. And now we're into the birding community. We've downloaded Merlin, and we're ready to identify birds at a moment's notice. Merlin is a great app. It is. If you're looking to identify birds. And Merlin has a database that you download for the specific location you're in, and we downloaded the app. or the 688 birds of Costa Rica or something like that. And then, and then you use that to identify the birds. And I actually, the bird that I used for the calendar, <laughs> calendar I took a picture of the picture and used Merlin to identify what it was because I had no idea. Yeah, I did that frequently. And even now, I don't remember what it was. Uh-huh. Some kind of a tanager. Well, that's still but, the problem. But it's very colorful, so that's that's the bottom line. And i got to say, I bought uh, some new photo equipment for this adventure, and I was very pleased with the way it operated. Olympus 
makes um, Micro Four Thirds cameras. You know, there are no, there's only one company making digital SLRs anymore, and that's uh, Nikon. Everybody else has gone to mirrorless cameras, and mirrorless means that uh, you have an electronic viewfinder that you look through instead of the pentaprism with the mirror that flips up when you click the shutter. And that uh, makes the whole system much lighter because uh, they don't have to have all that mechanism in there. And there's several things that they can do with that camera that they have not been able to do before. One, it's much lighter. So this Olympus system that I have invested in, I got rid of, I sold off all my Canon stuff, as I mentioned a few months ago, and I was testing this new system. Um, I have a 200 to 800 millimeter lens for taking pictures of the Quetzal. <laughs> and any other birds that and, happen to come other by. Because sm- I got some terrific pictures of hummingbirds, and I was very glad that I bought this camera. It's the birder's dream camera. The pictures I was taking so pictures. so sharp compared to If that. you're familiar with photography at all, you know that taking telephoto sharp pictures is not only a function of having a quality lens, but it's also very... Uh, sensitive to movement by the photographer, and it's very hard to keep it still. And that's why photographers bring along tripods or monopods or whatever you want to have. Which is why I'm not a birder. Which is, well, you're not a birder photographer. Because the binoculars, you just don't need that. No. So this new camera that I have has seven stops of digital stabilization. And they actually have in-camera stabilization, which means that the sensor moves to offset any motion in the lens. It's even hard to believe that they can even do that. But the Quetzal at 4 o'clock in the morning was in very dark territory. And the Tanninger and all the other birds. So, and, and of course, an 800-millimeter lens is, by its very nature, fairly slow, slow, meaning that it doesn't let in a lot of light. This one was a 5.6, and you know that for nighttime photography or dark photography, you need a 2.8 or, or less. Uh, the lower the number, the more light your lens lets in. So this lens is fairly slow by photography standards, but with image stabilization, I was taking pictures of these birds with an 800-millimeter lens at a 60th of a second, which is impossible without a tripod. And the other cool pictures you took with hummingbirds, I knew that hummingbirds have tongues, which (laughs) they stick into flowers to suck the nectar out. But he got a picture of a hummingbird with its tongue all the way out. It was like as long as the whole rest of its body. It was a yes. shocking picture. Explain white. how you got that. Well, the, another very nice birding feature that this camera has is, is that as a photographer, you know that you wait to click the shutter until the action happens. And then you know, you're the bird flies make, away or you know, whatever you're, you're trying to, the basket is made or whatever the, the situation is. But frequently, your reaction time is too slow to actually get the action. So what this camera does is, is that it has a feature, because it has an electronic shutter, it can shoot oh, 60 or 80 frames a second, which is very fast, obviously. So you're not going to miss the action, but you'll miss the action because you press the shutter too, too late. late. So what this one does is you hold the shutter down halfway 
in anticipation of that great shot of whatever's going to happen. The bird's going to lift off or it's going to catch the fish or whatever it is. And at the moment of the action, you press the button. Now, by holding it down halfway, the camera says, okay, I'm going to save 50 frames before you click the shutter (laughs) and 50 frames after you click the shutter so that with 100 or so frames, you're going to get the action if you were the least bit accurate in pressing the button. So that's a very cool feature. And so it's shooting frames much more quickly than you do when you do a video. And much more than you can shoot with a with a mechanical shutter. Right. The only problem is now you have 100 pictures to go through to find the one well, yes. with the hummingbird's tongue out. 100, yeah, you have 100 raw pictures to go through, and you have to find the picture, and obviously you spend a lot of time throwing away pictures. Yeah. But that's still a very cool feature because you always miss the picture. The one you really wanted. The one you were in here by shooting 100, uh, you're going to get that uh, exact moment that the action is the best and you can and you can find it. So this camera has that. Uh, many other features. It has uh, an 80 megapixel high resolution mode um, so that you can get really sharp pictures of uh, not of action but of uh, still lifes or of landscapes. So it's a very nice camera and because it's uh, got a little bit smaller sensor, it has the capability of being light, and the lenses are much smaller, and um, it's just uh, all around good, but not cheap. And of course, I'm going to buy the new one. <laughs> this is a new version. Well, we're not we're not having any birds in our future. Well, so we'll have other exciting events. Well, they won't move as the fast flowers, as, as the, the flowers are going to move. Flowers hold still. They're not like quetzals. Well, there I'll be able to use the 80, the 80 megapixel landscape mode. You're going to shoot get circles the highest quality so that I can make the huge, giant photos. Okay. Uh, Before we leave Costa Rica, no, we, we, should, we should add that we booked our own flights. A lot of people <laughs> on our tour use the agency to do that, which we think is a mistake because we like to go when we like to go. And most importantly, we like to have non-stop flights whenever possible. And I think we mentioned to you that we were going non-stop from Orlando to Costa Rica on JetBlue and returning on Frontier. We've heard to many wonderful things about JetBlue and many horrible things about Frontier. And I have to say that our experience was that they were both pretty similar. The key is that you have to change your thinking. Um, Being old dogs, sometimes we're not good at doing that, but we're used to the price being the price and including everything that you could possibly want. But with both these airlines, the price was very, very low and then you selected a la carte the things that you wanted to have for your particular flight. And so the two round trips ended up being pretty much the same price, JetBlue and Frontier, and about $150 less per ticket than the agency would have charged us to book it for us. So we felt very content and kind of smug about how we did. And this is kind of an interesting philosophy because we are in the midst of uh, getting ready to go on this cruise, and we read many messages because the itinerary has changed. About because people, of the war in the Because the war in Ukraine, uh, the Baltic portion of the cruise has changed dramatically, uh, which doesn't really 
really impact us, but lots of the people on the cruise it does. And they have booked with, in this case, Princess Easy Air or Viking, whatever, the the system that they have for booking your own, booking the flights for you. It sounds like you. most cruise ships have air packages. And I'm just shocked with all the problems that people have using a third-party booking system, either the cruise company or somebody else to book the, their flights, that they are using these other services. Not only did we find that booking it ourselves was cheaper, but we got better flights, and we didn't have to go through any Mickey Mouse in case the itinerary changed. We could deal directly with the airline. I don't understand why so many people, and I, and I would strongly recommend that you absolutely look at the options for booking your air if you are doing some sort of a tour, because you can almost always do it better, and certainly the connections can be better. We're just making our reservations for South Africa, and that trip we're making on our own, and we always do it on our own, so I would recommend that. And people say, well, if I book with the cruise company, they'll take th- care of me. They'll take care of me. And that is not really all that true. But the way they take care of you is not the way that you might like to go. If well, not all, choice in well by taking care of you, that means that, uh, that you are going to make the ship and they're going to hold the ship. But... <laughs> This is a sad story. Oh, yeah. One of the the Facebook people, their 80-year-old sister lives in Florida, and she was getting to the cruise port, and she, oh, that's where it was, and she was uh, on the ship, and their relatives who were, coming, who were coming from the northeast someplace got stuck in um, the Carolinas, the Carolinas Charlotte in Charlotte or someplace, and they missed their flight through no fault of their own. They missed the flight because the uh, the weather was bad, and the ship left. And they had their air booked through Princess. Princess. And so now their elderly aunt is on the ship <laughs> sending back emails about what a great time she's having. And these people... <laughs> Without them. And, of course, this was a transatlantic. So you can't just catch so, up the next So door. there was no way that they could catch up with the ship because it was not hitting land again for another week. So they just completely canceled it. So it was very interesting because the aunt was posting emails and she was saying, if there's anybody on the ship who sees her, please say hello. She has a red hat on and was wearing this and this sweater. And, and people were saying, oh, yes, we met her, and she's been having a great time. And without you. Without you. <laughs> so, uh, word of caution, be sure to look at your airfare arrangements before you book with a cruise line or whatever. And, of course, Tour in these agency. days of COVID, uh, that adds an Another layer of complexity, I should add, in Costa Rica, our tour included testing at the appropriate moment, and someone came to our hotel and tickled our noses, and we got the results fairly promptly, and that was all we needed, and we were good to go. So, have we done any RVing? So, we returned on the 8th of March, March, and now it's uh, at the end of March, and... We've been RV, staying in our RV ever since. Yes. And we've had some exciting activities. In our RV? Yes. We got a new roof. Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> Real excitement. Well, but 
giving us peace of mind. Um, our rich friends have places inside to park their rigs, but even if we do have a parking place when we get home, we know it'll be outside. Our rig is always exposed to the elements, and there's nothing worse than getting a leaf in your leak in your roof. Exactly. And in all honesty, the parking spot, the news parking spot, asked me if I wanted an indoor one, and I said no. Not because of the price. Although that's probably, do you know what, what she charged? No, I didn't even ask her because uh-huh. she said, I think, we're gonna, I think we have an indoor one that you can have if you'd rather. And I said, no. Because I have a new roof and I don't care. Well, not exactly. I said, <laughs> I have solar panels which keep my, my Battery batteries charged. charged. And if you read the posts on RV sites, you know that keeping... Your battery's charged so that the engine starts and so that the RV is in good shape when you come to get it and pick it up is a problem. And so uh, we've had such good luck. Our solar system, which is not big, it doesn't run the air conditioners or do anything special, but it will run the refrigerator. And when the the, the unit is parked, it will keep all the batteries topped off. topped off so that when we go out there and we want to leave, we can leave. The engine cranks, and there's nothing, and the slides go out. And that $2,000 battery set that I have has not gone bad because the systems have uh, somehow the, the, the voltage has leaked out and gone someplace. So we're parked outdoors, and we now have a new roof. Uh, and this roof was uh, rolled on. Very interesting. We found the vendor when we went to the Tampa Super Show back in January. Uh, he came to our site and worked on our roof for parts of three days. Primarily because of the weather. First you had to take all of your solar panels off. Yes. And you also installed a new skylight for our bathroom. Oh, that's right. That's something else you should look at. Now, our roof, our motorhome is about 11 years old, and so the EDPM uh, roof, which is that kind of uh, rubbery roof that is good for a few years, I say 10 years, and after that you got to kind of worry about it. So it was a bit worn, and because as we just said, it sits out in the snow and heat and sun. Uh, sun and everything else. And so I decided that it was probably a good idea. It's not a matter of if, just a matter of when you're going to replace it. And this has a 15-year warranty, so I probably won't be driving it in 15 years. Um, so we decided to have it replaced. And they did a nice job because they they tape around everything that's on your roof. I never will have to caulk again, and which is another good thing because as you get older, you have more and more problems getting up on the roof and that can cause uh, they then roll out the stuff and put two or three coats on so that the whole thing is uh, coated uh, coated over everything that I've ever done up there <laughs> so I have little plates and little things where I've installed things and so they just they just rolled right over all that stuff but coated when, over it but when you install new things I'm not installing anything new that doesn't sound like you <laughs> Oh, really? I can't imagine why. He left you a little extra goop to dab on here and there. Yes. And while earlier in the in the summer, I was up on the roof, and I noticed that our skylight, and everybody has a skylight, because every time 
you see newbies go into a motorhome or into an RV. They step into the shower and say, oh, it, has wow, a it has a skylight. And that skylight is made out of plastic. And when I was up there earlier in the summer, I noticed that this skylight had cracks in it. And from just the sun, not has never had anything on top of it or, or whatever. It just was uh, deteriorating in the sun. And I realized that our the housings for our air conditioners have also deteriorated. So... I bought a new skylight, and I was very surprised it just screwed on. So I put that down before they did this new roof, and so it's now sealed onto the roof. And I actually ordered that from Amazon, which is amazing. And you put it up without any trips to the hardware store, which to me is a sign of an easy install. Sign of an easy install? It's well, a sign of an install that was planned, ah, and everybody knew what was going on. Uh-huh. Well, that's good, too. So this was... Uh, Several thousand dollars, but another investment in the motorhome, which we hope will return itself. And now I got to talk about a little bit something more exciting, and that's oh, I got actually two more things. A couple more exciting than the roof. Well, I think so because I bought the new uh, RV thermostat. RV thermostat. It's very nice. And this is way cool. This is a specific thermostat made for RVs. And why do you need a specific thermostat made for RVs? Well, because we have heat pumps. We have two zones, and many places that uh, you have three zones, and many RVs, and so it has all of these features built into it, which a home, you know, if you buy a Nest or something like that, and it is Wi-Fi and Bluetooth enabled. So you can keep an eye on it from anywhere in the world. Right, uh, as long as it has electricity. And I bought this, uh, it's called Micro Air, and... Very nice display with colors, <laughs> which is very important. Well, it's easier to see than the much old one. E- much easier to use than the old one. I mean, it's got a very nice display. It displays indoor, outdoor temperature. And we have two zones, so it, it operates both zones. It operates the heat pumps or the furnace or the air conditioning or just the fan. All of that's uh, built into it. And it was super easy to install. That was another one without a trip to the hardware store. I didn't even think about it. When I bought it, I said, oh, this is going to take me a day and a half to install because I'm going to have to put in new wiring. Or, But when I took the old one off the wall, it had what looked like a phone jack on it. I think it was Ethernet. And, you know, one of those, it, just a click jack. So you buy this. It comes. It has the jack on the back. You take the old one off the wall. You plug this one in, and it worked. So I gotta say, if you would like to get a easy to install web enabled and Bluetooth, and Bluetooth is nice because a lot of times you don't have you don't have uh, Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. You know, this works without either one, mm-hmm. and it's very reliable. A very nice app, so that now I can wake up in the morning and my wife says, "Oh, I'm cold," so I just or well, she never says I'm hot. <laughs> That would have too many connotations. No, that would be dangerous. (laughs) Other things might happen. But anyway, 
you can uh, control it from bed. Uh, you know, you forget to turn down the thermostat, and it has programming, which is also nice, uh, which I haven't used, but because we don't have a, a standardized schedule, but you could say at night I want it to go down to this or up to this temperature or whatever. So this is a very nice thermostat, and of course, you will want to click on our webpage in order to find the link, but the the company is MicroAir. It's microair.net, M-I-C-R-O-A-I-R.net, and you can see this thermostat. And I bought it, obviously, through the web someplace, and so it's easy to, to access. And then, oh, boy, another very exciting, and I'm just, this is something I cannot take advantage of because I just don't see it, but this is Starlink. Is really, I mentioned this last month that uh, it looked like quote unquote portability is becoming uh, something that everybody has. And lots of people have been using Starlink and campers, RVers, RVers, and they're able to move their dish at will all over the United States and in Mexico and Canada. If we were going to be on the road in the near future. <laughs> Well, we are, but we're not going to be in our RV. We're not going to be in our RV. If we're going to be in our RV, I would be first in line to get the Starlink. And the way, very strange the way you get it. Um, And I can't believe that. I think I mentioned this last month, but you you pick a open cell someplace in the United States, and then you have, it has a... So that's like your home base. Like your home base. Even though you never go there, or you don't have to go there. Exactly. And then you have it shipped to your house, wherever you are, and... For a long time, if you were not in the cell where you had set up the service, you couldn't use it. And to move, you had to go on the website, find an open cell near to where you were, and then relocate yourself to that cell. And that was iffy. You couldn't just move around at will. But now, with quote-unquote portability set up, people are moving around and they don't have to do anything other than set up their dish and turn it on and away they go. Is that because he has more satellites up than he did at well, the Well, I, I have a very good link that you're going to want to read to Starlink uh, from the RV Mobile Internet guys. And the, this article explains all of the satellite Internet services, and there are a number of them. Uh, One World is coming online, and Amazon is going to be doing one. But what the differences are between them, and he's got 1,582 satellites for the first shell of Starlink, and then they're working on the second shell, and the second shell is going to be uh, with these laser interconnects so that they can do uh, in the middle of the ocean and things. So this will be very exciting. And as an RVer, having this dish and... You know, if you're in the in the forest, it's not going to work. So a lot of people have put them on tops of uh, some sort of a pole because you have to have almost a 180-degree view of the sky or at least a big portion of the northern sky because the satellites move across the sky. And so as they move, you got to have that view. It's not like satellite TV, which points at a specific satellite in the distant horizon and it is stationary. These are moving. So 
as they move, the dish itself does not physically move, but it electronically moves. You can guess how that works. And it then follows the satellites and, and roams from one satellite to the next as, uh, as they appear on the horizon and disappear on the other horizon. Anyway, it works. Um, the dish is uh, $549 and $100 a month for service. And service runs in the 100 plus megabit range which is outstanding and if you couple that with a cellular service for when you're in the in the forest uh, you will have solid internet uh, full time which is great especially for people who are still working on the road this is so i'd love to give i would love i would love to give starlink a try well you're busy so i'm having to wait till next year of course probably they'll have a it'll be even better now and cheaper? No, probably not. No, probably it's gone up in price, so they're not uh, reducing the price. And my the word is is that they're losing money on every satellite system that they sell. Mm. Um, and just uh, one more word is just that it's not mobile. You can't be moving. It requires stationary setup. So every place, every time you go someplace, you have to set it up. But. It's not like a satellite, a TV satellite. You don't have to sit there and precision align it with the satellite. You just set it out there, and if it has a view of the sky, it will link up with the satellites. And apparently it just takes a few minutes. It does use a fair amount of power, so a lot of people have had some trouble oh, um, boondocking, on boondocking because mm-hmm. it uses like 150 watts of power continuously to, in order to connect. And that's a lot of juice for solar to provide uh-huh, uh-huh. on a full-time basis. Uh-huh. But that's uh, neither here nor there. For us, it is a great option if you are looking to improve your Internet service while you're on the road. If you do it, let us know how it works for you. <sighs> yeah, I don't know anybody. And make Ken jealous. <laughs> <laughs> Very jealous. But before we babble on about more technology, we should babble um, on. respond to a very nice email that we got that starts with "Hi Martha and Ken, we are your eternal fans." <laughs> now, how sweet is that? How could we not love that? My husband and I are dying to know how you decide what your next trip will be uh-huh. and who does the planning. I guess this is much a question about a peaceful marriage as it is about strategic discussions and logistics. How do you decide how many trips per year to take and which are non RV and out of the U.S.? How do you brainstorm and agree with each other about where you will go, who plans the trips? Do you budget a certain amount of money each year for travel? <laughs> Lots of good questions that made us stop in our tracks and think, how do we do this? Because we don't really... We just do it. We just do it, right? It's I guess after 50 years of marriage, it's just kind of uh, built into our DNA that we just kind of think alike. One thing I should start from the get-go is that it's very helpful that we both like to travel incessantly. Because I can certainly see yeah. where people with grandkids that are tugging on their heartstrings or people who just like to be at home where everything is perfectly comfortable all the time could get tired of this lifestyle but that is not the case for us we do enjoy our house and like being there occasionally but as soon as we're there for two months or so i'd say we start getting restless again and looking for other places to go and things to see yes and i think part of the issue part of our strategy is is that we try to read extensively about interesting places to visit and listening to friends and 
watching the Rick Steves on TV and Rudy like, Maxa and like this trip we just took to Costa Rica. Who do you, who goes on a trip like that, especially during COVID? People who really like to travel, even though there's COVID. And so you eat dinner with these people, and they tell you wonderful places they've gone, things that they've done. Uh, I used to say we had a bucket list, but it's past that now because you keep finding out more and more places to go and things to see. Although I should also add that right now the world feels a little shrunken to me. Um, I had a lot of things I wanted to do in the China area and the politics of China um, have been kind of off-putting. The rigidity and the way they're handling COVID is a bit daunting. And so I had my face turned more in the European direction and of course everybody knows that with what's going on in Ukraine that could be a little bit disconcerting and dangerous as well. So at the moment I feel a little bit um, confined by the things that we can choose but there's still so much out there to see and do and some of it lends itself better to driving to anything within our country or within our continent I should say that we can go to with our motorhome. As much as we loved being in Costa Rica living out of a suitcase gets tiresome we moved every two to three days and we'd had enough of it by the time that trip came to an end from that aspect. So these are things that we both just agree on and don't have to discuss. So. Uh, there's not a lot of negotiation involved. Occasionally... <laughs> which, which you, I'm sure people are saying, well, that can't possibly be. Well, I, but I can remember when I really had the hots to go to India and, yeah. you, and you did not. And I exactly. had to do a little bit of persuading. But you must admit that I was absolutely right. I have to. I have to admit that you have to admit it. You, you were it. absolutely right. <laughs> no, I really did love India, and it turned out to be a fabulous trip and one which was very memorable. You know, so we look at itineraries that co- that our favorite companies. I think that's one of the things we do too. Mm-hmm. Is we look at the itineraries of our favorite companies, like Oat or, um, and not Elder Hostel, but Road Scholar, Road Scholar or the, the cruises that we've taken. Vantage we, we've. Vantage we've used a few times. So we look at their itineraries and we say, ooh, would that be for us? And I remember the first time we went to South Africa, the reason why we went there is because we had dinner with... Myron Osad, and he told us all about his trips where we went and looked at his pictures, yeah. and that got us excited about going to South Africa, because I'd never really thought about going to South Africa, but he talked about uh, the excitement there, and I think we're going with some friends to, some listeners to South Africa again, yeah. and I think part of the reason why they're going with us is because we talked excitedly about our experiences in South Africa. So next year at this time, we're going to South Africa again. And when it comes to money, obviously <laughs> Obviously, we are not destitute. Um, obviously, we could use more money. So between those two parameters, if we can afford it and we aren't breaking the bank or making foolish decisions about the other expenses that we have on an ongoing basis, we just cram, cram in as much as we can, especially after these last two lost years with COVID. Right. We feel the clock ticking and know that many of the things we are doing today, we will not be able to do tomorrow. Well, not only that, but the money was building up because we haven't traveled in two years right. so we have a wad of cash to spend because so this trip this year is is very travel heavy because we are spending the money that we would have spent in the past couple of years i mean sitting in the one in we're, Florida, we're the one we're taking right now we paid for two years ago exactly yeah. we paid, literally paid for yeah. it this is has been on the books and ready to go for for years 
So our planning strategy is, is intuitive and easy for us. I don't know. We'd like to hear how you do it. Well, to me, the people who are less well matched when it comes to being interested mm-hmm. in travel have to negotiate more. All right. And we have a friend who she loves to travel, and her husband hasn't been beyond Disney, Disney World. World. And she travels the world. And she goes to dangerous places. Like she's been to all because of as a single. and those the stands, Uzbekistan, as a single woman. So she. In our age category. Really I mean, loves to travel. And she just leaves him at home. That's another way to do it, I guess. Yeah. I, I, whew, I can't imagine doing that by yourself. And then I should also add, when we get interested in a place, we look at whether it's something that we can do on our own, by ourselves. Certainly in our younger days, we did a lot of renting a car and driving around Europe and yeah. buying our own cable car tickets and booking a B&B and those yeah. kinds of things. Um, but these days, with our favorite travel companies, it's a little bit easier. They take care of some of the planning for us, and they provide experiences that would be hard for us to do ourselves and so we've decided that that's a better choice for us at this stage in our lives but it was just a few years ago that we went to cornwall for two weeks we went to ireland we drove all all around ireland by ourselves by ourselves and had a great time and just stayed in not airbnbs but something similar to that at the time and we had a great time doing that so we have done all types of tours i would say and we do them i don't know it's kind of whimsical i guess we have no real plan we don't start in the west and go east and martha has been agitating for us to go to anchor watt which kind of well we were all signed up to do that before COVID. Boring. And then we, I'm not big on historical stuff. No, or ruins. So and, I like scenic. And we were also signed up on that trip to go to Myanmar, used to be Burma, and do a cruise on the Irrawaddy River. But then politically, that place went into crapper, and so that's off the table now as well. So as many trips as we do, there is an equal number of trips that we that don't. we haven't gotten through. And I, we negotiate. She wanted to go to Angkor Wat, and she's been agitating to go to Angkor Wat for years and I just was not interested and so we were able to stick it on to the end of a cruise that, that, you I, were interested that I was in. interested in because we were going on the Mekong and so I said okay and then you start to look at the Anchor Wat and what it is and you talk to other people who've been to Anchor Wat and you see their pictures and you see their pictures which of course is an important thing to me and it really looks uh, fairly interesting if you can go at the right time so hopefully so. the right time will come soon <laughs> before I'm permanently in the wrong time. So the next podcast you will hear from us will be at the, oh, we will be mid-cruise. Which one? <laughs> one of the ones coming up. <laughs> we will be mid-cruise in, I think we will be uh, on our first river cruise. And this is something else we're going to be doing for the first time. Well, we're doing yes a Viking. Viking. We've been on river cruises. Well, not like this. We went though. through Russia on a river cruise. Yeah, but that, yeah, well, that was different. It was very different. It was right after the Berlin Wall fell. That, that was, was very a long interesting. Time ago. But and we have been on the Nile. Yeah, but that, with those, we've been on the Orinoco. Okay. We've been on river cruises. No, we have not been on this kind of river. This cruise. is more la di da. Yeah, and this is a Viking River cruise that we're doing in the tulips, and we will be hopefully mid-tulip when you hear from us again at the beginning of May. For just a few days, we are doing that cruise. But and this is another thing I think we do is we, we pick a destination, 
like the tulips, and we figure out, oh, how are we going to get there? Oh, we're going to take a two-week cruise across from Fort Lauderdale. That's a nice way and, to get and there. And while we're over there, what, what else over there, can we do? What else can we do? And it's like the South Africa trip that we're about to do. Oh, South Africa? Okay, that sh- we're doing a repositioning cruise, which we really like, that goes from Cape Town to Lisbon. Hmm. I wonder what that mm-hmm. ship does before it leaves Cape Town. Ah, it does ten day ten day cruise of South Africa. Well, that sounds interesting. Well, hell, you can't go to South Africa without doing a safari. So now our South Africa trip next January is going to be two months long. Yeah. Well, it's going to be a safari. And then a 10-day cruise through South Africa, and then a repositioning cruise from Cape Town to Lisbon. So we've been to Lisbon, so we decided to end it there. (laughs) Although you could easily spend a week or so in Lisbon and have a good time there. So our planning is just... um, Let's think about it and let it mull around and see what other things might be interesting. And and don't rush it. Take, take Do it in advance and take your time. And, of course, we all also have an eye to COVID ongoing oh. these days because there's nothing worse than having a complex trip like this where the middle of it gets canceled, which happened to us with Rose oh, Scholar yeah. once yeah. when we well, ended up going to Cornwall. These things ourselves. all have to fall into place and you have to and get work the, with each other. Yeah, and you have to have the airfare to make it happen. But... That's not a problem these days. You know, back when we had to use a travel agent to do the airfare, that, and that, I think that is one of the biggest limitations is, is that having to rely on other people to make your connections. And the hotels and the pickups. It's so easy to do. the tours that we take when we're on our yeah, own. Yeah, that's all easy to do right now. <sighs> so. Have we babbled on We babbled enough? on for another hour. It's hard to believe. And... It has not gotten any warmer outdoors, but it's not snowing, so that's the good news. We can see beautiful Rend Lake out of our picture window, and that's probably as close to it as we're going to get. It's cold. Yep. So, with that, we will say goodbye, and maybe we'll see you, well, at a rest stop <laughs> or at a campground. But, uh, or at the grocery store. Or at the grocery you store. You never know where we're going to see uh, fellow listeners. I, f- I feel like I should wear a badge or something, but I, that would probably be a little bit too much. Anyway, uh, we're glad to hear from you. Please uh, take a look at the website for this month's podcast and uh, keep in touch with us and let us know what your plans are and how you do your planning. We have told you what we do, but we would like to hear what you do. Always looking for a good idea. So thanks for listening. Talk to you later. Happy travels. Happy travels.